Welcome to Holy Savior Sermons, bringing you the weekend sermons given at Holy Savior Church. Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless Nathan. Lord, just help calm some of those nerves that might be there. And Lord, just as always, it is your spirit working through whoever is up here sharing the word. May that word shape our lives. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. right. And you're up. All righty. You guys get to listen to me talk this week. How exciting is that? (laughs) So today we are continuing our summer series on baggage, and we're talking about jealousy specifically. It's that kind of icky feeling that everyone kind of experiences at some point of wanting something that someone else has. I can think of several things personally that I'm jealous of, and just one of those, just for example, is anyone who got to live through the 1990s, the glory days of Nebraska football. (laughs) Tom Osborne, Tommy Frazier, the triple option, the three national championships, I would have loved to see that. I was born in 2001, so I kind of just barely missed the cutoff, and my entire life has been some pretty mediocre to bad football. So I'm a little jealous of people who got to live through and see those amazing football teams. But um, jealousy is really something that everyone experiences. It's all over. And today we're going to talk about the negative effect that jealousy has on our relationships and the damage that it can cause to those. Um, But that's not what love is. Love isn't jealous. And we're going to look at a passage just in a little bit from 1 Corinthians that shows what love truly is and how Jesus shows that and how that love of Christ really heals the wounds of jealousy. Now, there's a perfect example of the danger of jealousy in Genesis in the story of Joseph. And this is a story that many of you may be familiar with, um, but if you're not, I'm going to give a brief overview of what goes on in this story. So, the main character of it is a guy named Joseph, and um, the gist of it is really that he's the favorite son of a guy named Jacob, and he's one of Jacob's 12 sons, and because he was Jacob's favorite... Um, Jacob decided that he wanted to make him this magnificent cloak of many colors um, to kind of signify that he was his favorite. And um, I don't know about you, but if I had a brother and my father decided to give him a magnificent colorful coat or something just to show that he was the favorite, it wouldn't make me very happy. And that certainly didn't make Joseph's brothers very happy either. And then to make matters worse for Joseph... He also had a ton of dreams of him ruling over his brothers and them submitting to him and bowing down to him. And Joseph, of course, went and told those dreams to his brothers, and that really made his brothers very unhappy. So they got to the point where they just absolutely despised Joseph, and they decided that they needed to do something to just get rid of him. Now, their first idea was they were just going to take him, and they were going to throw him in a pit and leave him there and die. So that's what they decided to do. So they take Joseph and they throw him in a pit and they leave him. And you can imagine Joseph at first was probably like, ha that's a funny joke, brothers. You're going to come back and you're going to get me out. But then after a while of sitting down in the pit, he maybe started to realize, well, shoot, maybe this isn't quite a prank. Now, meanwhile, his brothers, they go back home and they start thinking for a little while. And they start wondering, you know, Joseph is just kind of sitting down there in that pit. We could probably get something out of him because right now he's no use to us. So they decide, they go back to the pit, and they pull Joseph out of the pit, and you can imagine then Joseph's like, oh yes, it was a prank, thank goodness. And then he gets to the top of the pit, and he realizes that his brothers are just going to sell him into slavery, into Egypt, so that they can make some money off of him. So Joseph goes off to Egypt to become a slave, and Joseph's brothers go back to their father and tell their dad that his favorite son was killed. 
Now, this story really shows jealousy destroying relationships. This one just between a family. The brothers were so jealous of Joseph that they let their envy ruin their family. And it really caused some significant damage. Jacob genuinely believed that his son was dead. There was so much pain and hurt this family that jealousy caused this family. Now, just like Joseph's brothers allowed their jealousy to ruin their relationships, we often do the exact same thing. American culture really contributes a ton to this. Just think about the idea of the American dream in particular, the idea to come to America, start your own business, or get a job and build generational wealth for decades and, and years to come. We strive for success here, and many times we're willing to do whatever it takes to achieve that success. We see what our neighbor has, and we believe, man, that looks pretty good. I think I need that too. And if we can't have that thing, then we often start to get the idea that if, they, if we can't have it, then they shouldn't have it either. We are supposed to love our neighbor, but we struggle with this kind of jealousy of wanting things that our neighbor has. And our culture says that that's normal to be jealous of. It's normal to be jealous of the possessions of your neighbor. And this jealousy in this culture is not just a problem that we face today. Back when Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, they were also struggling a lot with jealousy. So in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about some really anti-cultural stuff. Not just anti-cultural for, for the Corinthians at the time, but also for us today. So um, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Now that verse uses the word envy, and I'm going to kind of use envy and jealousy just kind of interchangeably throughout this sermon. But... This verse takes place from the love chapter in 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about what love is and what love isn't. And Paul says here that love does not envy or boast. And the word here that he uses for envy is the Greek word zileo, which means to burn with zeal, to be heated, or to boil with envy, hatred, or anger. It's where the English word zealous comes from. So we see here that Paul is talking about some very intense jealousy that leads to hatred, just burning despise of a person because you're so jealous of them. You think back to the story of Joseph. That's what we saw in Joseph's brothers. They were so intensely jealous of him that they just hated him. And they had to get rid of him. And when this was written, Corinthian culture was a lot like American culture is today. They were incredibly wealthy and they experienced many problems that come along with that. Paul wrote this letter to kind of water what he had already planted. There was already a church in Corinth and he wanted to keep that church growing. And while doing that, he realized that he also needed to fix some problems that had risen since the last time he was there, like the jealousy of others. Paul needed to basically set things straight and show the believers how they were supposed to act in relation to the people outside of the church as well as the people inside their own church bodies. He recognized that jealousy and love couldn't go together. Love does not envy. You can't love while also being jealous because jealousy destroys relationships, as we saw in the story of Joseph. I remember when I was younger, like in middle school or high school, I kind of experienced this. I had a friendship with another guy, and it seemed like most of the time we got along well, but oftentimes we would be competing with each other, and it seemed like if it dealt with popularity or our academics or any of the activities we did, we were always trying to do better than the other person. And if one person did actually do better than the other person, we would really be hurt, and we'd get really jealous, and we would do anything in our power to pull that person back down. And over time, that friendship, all those negative things, that jealousy, 
really took a toll on our friendship. It, it hurt our relationship. <clears throat> this is something called the crab bucket syndrome or the crab mentality. It's one of two ways that we often act on our jealousy. So when you put a whole bunch of crabs in a bucket, they usually try to get out of the bucket as fast as they can. And they're willing to do just about anything they can to get out of that bucket. Oftentimes, you'll see one crab that's at the bottom of the bucket try to grab a crab that's almost out of the back, out of the bucket, and they'll grab that crab and pull the crab back down and attempt to get itself out. Now, of course, crabs are just doing what they're designed to do, to reach for and grab and pull on things in order to pull themselves out of something. But this is also a really good analogy of what humans do to each other out of jealousy. When someone else succeeds, we aren't very supportive of them. Instead, we get jealous of the success that they have, and we try to bring them back down in order to make ourselves feel better, just like I would with my friend when I was younger. We often live with that mentality that if I can't have it, then I don't want you to have it either. And the sad truth is that while sometimes, sure, we're the crab that gets pulled down, we just as often are the crab that pulls someone down because we feel like we need to make ourselves feel better. We try to re-level the playing field because we get jealous and we think that if we pull them down, that'll make us feel better and it'll ease the jealousy that we have. And when we do this, it destroys the relationships that we've built with people that we care about. We ultimately aren't showing them love. And that was the first thing that we often do when we act out of our jealousy. And the second thing that we often do, if we don't try to pull them back down with us, we try to pull ourselves up to their level by collecting material goods that we think might make us feel better. And we've really been doing this our entire life. Think all the way back to when you were a really little kid in elementary school and say it's, it's the back to school week, two weeks before school starts and you're going, to, going shopping to get all your stuff and you start thinking about what kind of lunchbox you're gonna get. And you think, well, this kid that's really popular at school, they're gonna have this Superman lunchbox or this princess lunchbox. And I am a little jealous of them because they're really popular, so I have to have that lunchbox too. And that makes me feel better. Or maybe when you grew up a little bit, when you get into high school, maybe it was the specific type of prom dress that you knew was in style and all the popular kids were gonna have it and you knew that you needed to have that too. Or maybe it was the first car that had to be just the right style or um, be, can drive as fast as everybody else's cars. You had to have that one to make yourself feel less jealous. And as we grew up and we became adults, jealousy even still continues. When the new iPhone is released, you see people line up outside of a store for hours in order to get that brand new piece of technology so that they don't feel jealous of the people that do have that. Or we see people take out loans to try to buy that fancy car. It's funny that cars continue as you get older, that you still just want a fancy car. <laughs> but you see people trying to spend that money in order to build, pull themselves up so they're less jealous of others. Or others try to spend fortunes on keeping their lawn just immaculate so that they can look across their neighborhood and say, my lawn's the best. All these things are supposed to make us feel less jealous of our neighbor. They're supposed to pull us up and make us feel better. But in reality, they just add more weight to the baggage that we continually have to carry. Because we're continually feeding that monster that says, I need more, I need more. I still feel jealous. And this constant struggle of either the crab mentality or buying material goods to pull ourselves up 
it's just exhausting. It's a con- it, we're constantly carrying that baggage to try to ease our jealousy. And then when we act on that jealousy, we hurt those people that we care about. Our friends, our neighbors, and our spouses all get hurt when we act on our jealousy. And then we cast that baggage onto other people because we ourselves are hurting. And this is so often how we live our life. But when we look in the Bible, we see that Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. And looking back at 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, love does not envy or boast. We're called to love our neighbor, and love doesn't envy. So what does it look like to truly love your neighbor without jealousy? How do we actually live that out? And as I was thinking about jealousy and this question in particular, I realized that we're never going to really be able to understand how to live a life without jealousy if we don't first understand why we get jealous in the first place. No one is actually just a shallow, hollow person who says, I need to have a better lawn than this person, or I need to have a fancier car just because you want to be better. We're doing that for a specific reason. There is a root to that. What is the root behind jealousy? So as I did some research to answer my question, I kept seeing one answer over and over and over again. The feeling that you're not good enough. We get jealous because we look at another person who seemingly, we think, has a better life and a more fulfilled life, a happier life, because they have these things. They got the promotion at work. They have the nice car. They have the nice lawn or whatever it is. And we get jealous of them because we think, if only I had those things, if I had the nice car, the nice lawn, then I would feel happy and I would feel like I'm enough. We don't get jealous of others because we simply are just shallow, hollow people. We're not like that. We get jealous because we feel like we aren't lovable as we are. So we try to fill that hole with the jealous desires that we have. And it's ultimately an endless trap because we're never going to have enough with this mindset. We keep hearing that monster that says, I need more. And that hole that we end up in just leaves us feeling hopeless, worthless, and lonely. It's a dark place to be. So now returning to our question, what does it look like to love our neighbor without jealousy? Let's look at the rest of 1 Corinthians. Love is patient and kind. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And all of those things that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians can be seen in the example that Jesus sets for us. Love is seeing Jesus Carry the cross to the top of Calvary and suffer and die for us because you are enough. This piece of knowing that you are enough can ease the jealousy that we have. It allows us to realize that we don't need to pull other people down or collect material things in order to make us feel like we're enough. You are enough for the Son of God to be willing to come down from heaven, become a man, live life and suffer and die on the cross for you. And not only that, but he also rose again from the dead. And in that resurrection, he defeated sin, death, and the devil. And that removes all of the baggage that we collect from our jealousy. And it also heals those that we've hurt from our jealousy. We can stop that crab mentality and let others succeed without feeling the need to pull them back down. We can stop collecting material things because we think that if we have those things, we'll feel better about ourselves. The love of Jesus heals the wounds of jealousy. You can give up the baggage that we have 
and just have peace. And even in those moments where we think that our jealousy has driven us past the point where anyone could love us at all, and our jealousy, we've acted on it so much that we've ruined relationships that we genuinely care about, God's still there. God does not abandon people. When we think back to the story of Joseph, we kind of left it at a cliffhanger as Joseph went off into Egypt to be a slave, and Joseph's brothers went back to their father and told him that his favorite son was dead. You can imagine Joseph, as he was led into Egypt, felt incredibly abandoned as he was led to be a slave. Or, later on in the story, a famine goes through the land of Israel where Jacob and all of Joseph's brothers lived. You can imagine the abandonment that they felt as they were wondering, where are we going to get our next meal? And as they made the long trip into Egypt, because Egypt had food, and they had the hope that maybe, maybe Egypt will have some food for us. Imagine the abandonment. But God didn't leave either of them. Despite the mistakes by everyone in the story, God didn't abandon them. Joseph, after a long, long time in Egypt, became a high-ranking official, and he was the one in charge of the food that Egypt had. God provided for Egypt through Joseph. And that position that Joseph was in allowed him to come face-to-face with his brothers as they came to Egypt looking for food. And it allowed for reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. Joseph was able to forgive the brothers who'd sold him off into slavery, and he was able to provide food for them. God provided reconciliation, and he does the exact same thing for you. When you feel like you're a hopeless case because your jealousy has driven people away from you, God does not abandon you. He stays with you, and because of Jesus' death and resurrection, reconciliation is possible. Even if you hurt someone because of your jealousy, Jesus has the power to mend that relationship, even the relationships damaged by jealousy. The love of Jesus heals the wounds of jealousy, even in those people that we've hurt. You can be forgiven, and you can forgive those who have hurt you because of their jealousy too. That weight, that baggage that constantly sits on our shoulders can be lifted by the healing blood of Jesus. So here at Holy Savior, we are constantly thinking about how we can be growing in Jesus and sharing his love. So now that our baggage of jealousy has been taken away, and we understand that the love of Jesus heals the wounds of jealousy, we can actually listen to the words of Paul and follow his call to love those around us rather than be envious of them. Now, this can certainly still be a challenge at times, but one good practice to just try to let go of that jealousy is to pray for those who make you jealous. This could be a struggle at times, but over time, a practice becomes a habit, and maybe it becomes a positive experience or maybe even a friendship between two people. Remind people that you're jealous of that they are enough too. Everyone struggles with similar things, and they're probably thinking some similar thoughts as you. Rather than uh, struggling alone with loneliness and misunderstanding, weakened by our efforts, we should humble ourselves and celebrate the success of other people and just love one another. So today, as we head out into the world and we leave Holy Savior, be thinking about that one person that maybe you can pray for as we continue to overcome our jealousy and just let that baggage be cast onto Jesus. So, amen.
For more information about Holy Savior, including service times and location, please visit holysavior.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God bless.